0: Hello, everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts Podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman, and through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. Are you having trouble losing weight? Do you get extreme food cravings, especially at night? What about the inability to lose weight even when you cut calories and do a lot of exercise? I know I fell into this category for pretty much most of my life. It's actually probably not even your fault. You most likely have what's called leptin resistance. Leptin is actually a hormone made by the fat cells that regulates food intake and energy expenditure by communicating with the brain. The more fat you have, the more negative leptin messages are actually being sent to your brain. This creates what's called leptin resistance and is going to sabotage all dieting efforts and causes food cravings even when you have enough fat stored. Introducing Zenith. This is an all-new, completely natural formula that gently decreases leptin levels to restore accurate communication between fat cells in the brain. Zenith contains zero harmful stimulants. It's made of all-natural polysaccharides and acetylated fatty acids, very safe for long-term weight loss plans, and it is made in the USA. In an eight-week University conducted double blind placebo controlled study. Participants lost 21.3 pounds of fat, lost almost four inches off their waistline, and reduced serum leptin levels by 43%. So if you or someone you know, someone you really love is struggling with weight loss, head down to the show notes. I'll have a link there and a few videos where you can learn more information about zenith. So listen, I've been experimenting with different types of minerals, especially magnesium, for the past five to six years. But I could never really find a product that I could feel the benefits that magnesium claimed to give. Magnesium is one of the most important minerals for all of human health. It participates in over 600 different biochemical reactions in the body, yet over 80% of the population is deficient. Magnesium deficiency can increase risk for all disease and greatly decrease optimal performance. That's why I like bi-optimizers. They use all seven forms of magnesium in a highly bioavailable form in their product, Magnesium Breakthrough. Magnesium helps with stress, anxiety, sleep, immune function, detoxification, and so much more. If you want to try out this product, head over to Buy Optimizers and use code IntegrativeThoughts10 to receive a 10% discount on their amazing product, Mag Breakthrough. Today's guest is Gregory Callinan. He is a serial entrepreneur with a passion and a love for coffee. So he created a company called Biodynamic Coffee by Holistic Roasters. And what they do is they use handpicked beans that are also using biodynamic farming practices to make your coffee. Not only that, each and every bag is going to be roasted on demand when you place your order online. So it'll take a few days to ship out, but the coffee is roasted and it's always really, really fresh when it meets your doorstep. How amazing is that? Not only that, they use the biodynamic practices and regenerative practices that I preach and try to educate people online all the time. I always call that my monthly charitable donation. I don't like to give to these companies like Red Cross or whatever it may be, where I don't know where the money's getting funneled to, someone's putting it in their pocket. I prefer to make my charitable donation to the earth, to people who are using proper regenerative and biodynamic farming practices. So that's where I like to spend my money. That's why I wanted to have Greg on the show. So sit back and relax and enjoy this show all about biodynamic coffee. Greg, welcome to the show. How's it going? Great to be here, Matt. Super. How are you? I'm great. I'm sipping on a cup of your uh, biodynamic coffee here. I'm sure you're doing In the here. same, getting a yeah. little brain boost. And uh, I'm excited because I haven't done a podcast about coffee yet. And I tried out some of your coffee and I thought it was pretty good. And I'm, 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 and for me to say coffee's good at this point, I'm kind of a snob. Like I don't really drink Dunkin' or Starbucks. Like it, it takes a lot for me to even give in. I kind of almost power through or use like a nicotine pouch or something instead of buying like a cheap cup of coffee anymore. It's tough. I'll, I'll go way out of my way to get like a specialty grade or organic cold brew or something if I'm traveling. And I, you know, so uh, I'm excited and I want to know like kind of what your background is and like how you got so involved in the coffee world.
1: So my background, I'm I'm uh, kind of a serial entrepreneur, although I have worked for a couple of large companies as well. Uh, And I'm just a really curious guy. uh, So I like to try new things as well. I like to always be learning and. You know, like with that personality type, I think, you know, you, you tend to go deep, d- dive deep into things and some things really stick and other things are more fleeting. You kind of learn what you want to learn and then you kind of move on. But coffee was always one of those things that stuck with me. Uh, I think it was, it was, uh, in I was working in Japan when I had my first really good cup of coffee. It was a, it was a siphon coffee. I don't know if you've ever seen the people when they do a siphon brew. It's uh, so the first time I saw it, I think it was in like 1990 two or something like that and just it blew me away it was it was so delicious There's just the whole ritual of the visual aspect of it and I kind of got interested in coffee eventually um you know bought an espresso machine and you know went from that to getting in a grinder and then starting roasting my own coffee green beans and, and experimenting with that um but what what actually got me into the business was uh in my neighborhood i lived in montreal at the time and this third wave coffee shop opened up around uh, around the corner from my house, and uh, it's called Melk, uh, melK. And it's one of the it turned out to to be one of the best coffee shops in all of Montreal. And I, I became friends with the owners, uh, Dominique Jacques and Miriam Asseline. And kind of we, we, we stayed friendly for a number of years, and then two things happened that kind of were almost simultaneously. One, the, the school that my my children went to. Wanted to do a fundraiser, and they wanted to do a biodynamic coffee. This was a, a Waldorf school, and they kind of asked me, knowing that I kind of was into coffee, if 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 it even existed. And I found out that it did exist; that there were um, biodynamically grown coffees. Not a lot; there were only a couple of farms at the time. And I ended up importing uh, a couple of bags, large, you know, burlap bags of green coffee, and, and got it roasted. And we sold it at the um, at the farmers market, and it kind of went on from there. Uh, I started talking to Dominic and, and Miriam about it, the the people who own milk. Um, and they said, it sounds interesting. I mean, we don't really think we want to become roasters, but like let's talk about it. And simultaneously, they said, but we have a project that you might be interested in. It was opening up a private cafe for a pension fund in Montreal. And so those two things kind of combined, we, we were both kind of very entrepreneurial focused. And we ended up uh, kind of a last minute deciding to fly to Honduras to visit uh, one of these biodynamic coffee farms, and by the end of that trip, we we started uh, we decided we we're going to import it. It was such a fantastic um, experience spending a few days with that family in Honduras uh, on the coffee farm, seeing how the coffee was grown, uh, seeing you know also just that sometimes people put mental barriers up in in terms of what what's possible to do. Uh, you know, the idea of importing your own coffee, roasting it, all that sometimes seems like it's, uh, it's just something that other people do. But um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, don't really think about all of the, the, the hard parts to something when they started. And that was kind of the case with us too. Um, but, you know, we're so happy we did. We don't look back. And it's just, uh, it's, it's been kind of a, an ongoing lifelong passion. So long rambling way of telling you how I got into coffee, but but that's, yeah, I love that's it. how it went.
0: It's cool, man. I think coffee's a, a great business, honestly. It's like if it's already something that we're doing and it's you know, it's it's almost foolproof if you can market it right and make sure it's a good cup of gel. I mean, everyone's gonna have a couple cups a day for the most part. And I wanna get into like, you know, a lot of the health benefits and how it's grown because for me, it's like one of those things we were kind of talking about before line, it's just a simple swap, right? You know, we talked about me buying my meat. Okay, I can go get it at Sprouts or Whole Foods or I can just order it from White Oaks Pastures. And I know that, the you know, it's going to have better mineral content. It's going to be cleaner. The soils are better. So it's just all around better quality meat. And then I trust those farmers with money because if they care about the land, I I would almost 100% bet my bottom dollar that they have good morals, values, ethics because if they didn't they would just use the pesticides, they would go grow GMO corn somewhere or whatever, you know, instead of doing regenerative practices or biodynamic practices. So why do you think that like coffee should be biodynamic so what's like the harms of conventional coffee and how it's grown and then kind of explain to everybody like the difference between that and what a biodynamic farm does
1: well i think you nailed it and and it does it is a reflection of the people who who grow the coffee and the way they grow it and the trust that you then have in, in that process and it's not surprising i mean a lot of people when we started um the biodynamic coffee business uh, knew about biodynamic wines, and a lot of those wines are award-winning wines, and it's it's not surprising, right? Because you look at the care that that people put into growing the grapes. Um, you know, it's it's everything from the things, all the things you mentioned, but also things like you know, in terms of uh, the ecosystem and the care for the planet, uh, and and the cost of not of farming in a way that is very destructive to the environment, doesn't get um, accounted for often. So, you look at uh, a regenerative or a biodynamic way of growing things, it's it's working with nature's natural kind of, um, uh, I don't know, like the, the way that an ecosystem works, the patterns, the system of an ecosystem. Um, and that is starts in the soil. So, you look at what, what allows for a plant to be healthy, to be uh, full of nutrition. It, it really depends on that interaction between the plant and the microbiology in the soil. And it doesn't. It, as soon as you put on a chemical fertilizer or a pesticide, it really destroys the the soil's microbiome. And then you become kind of addicted to uh, those fertilizers. And in the end, it's 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 uh, it's not only more expensive for the farmer to to require those inputs. Uh, it ends up destroying the soil, putting those inputs because you kill the natural fertility of the soil. And then the plants don't have this this symbiosis with the that that those natural um, that that natural microbiology that works to kind of feed the plant. So the plant ends up feeding those those uh, the microbes in the soil through the sugars that that come out through the roots. And in turn what happens is those the, the microbes break down Minerals and other nutrients for the plants, and feed it to the plants. So it's a it's a self sustaining natural way of of growing things that gets destroyed as soon as you start to use chemical fertilizers. Um, And so that also, kind of surprisingly, not surprisingly, I think that makes a lot of sense because when when a lot of studies were done to say, oh, you know, conventional um, farming, meaning you know, uh, where you see monocropping and uh, where you see all of this kind of very highly productive, quote unquote, highly productive ways of farming. It's actually, uh, there's a study by Rodale Institute. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it showed that it's actually not more productive. And a lot of regenerative farmers say it's cost them less to grow food this way than it does the conventional way. Um, and so you look at all the benefits, you go from it's, it actually costs less because you're, you've created a self-sustaining ecosystem that doesn't require external inputs. You have healthier, more robust plants in the sense that they're, they're able to withstand you know, uh, weather changes. So if, if it's drier, or if it's wetter, or if it's hotter, or if it's cooler, uh, the plants actually are more robust when, they, when they've um, had the kind of full-spectrum nutrition, not just you know, the potassium, um, uh, the NPK, nitrogen-potassium etc you know they've actually there's a, a soil microbiologist called uh, Elaine Ingham. I think she was out of the University of Oregon who who looked at what what does it take for a plant to actually you know have its full spectrum of nutrition and there were I think f- over 40 elements that that really were required to make kind of a robust healthy nutritious plant and you don't get that in, in conventional farming so um, you know I could go on in terms of then the soil health you know when you look at, just take the example in, in, uh, in America, the Mississippi Basin. All the farms along the Mississippi Basin, a lot of them, most of them are conventional farms that use pesticides and use fertilizers. And when it rains, because the, the soil has been so degraded, it's the, the water doesn't absorb very well uh, in, in, in those um, on those farms. And it actually runs off. You lose a lot of the topsoil, which is in it of itself a huge problem. And the other problem is all that topsoil is, is running off into the Mississippi with all of the fertilizer included. And you look at the Gulf of Mexico and you have a huge uh, swath there that it's a dead zone. It's a dead zone because it's choked with nutrients from, from all those fertilizers. Uh, means there's no oxygen. Means there's no fish, or there are very few fish in in that whole area, and it's an environmental disaster. And when you look at the cost of your food, that's not taken into consideration. It's not taken into consideration uh, the health costs of, of a poor diet. You know, a, a diet that's lacking in nutrition uh, from food grown in in that conventional way. And it's not surprising. You know, if you look at at the economics of it, in the U.S., you have um, the the cheapest food in the world. Uh, you know, on paper, at least it's cheap. If you don't look at all these other costs associated with the, the environmental degradation that goes with it, but you also have the highest healthcare costs in the world. And I don't think it's a coincidence. I know that that's a correlation. There's no necessarily a causality there, but, but I think, you know, we will, we will in time be able to make that, that link between poor diet, you know, uh, consuming food that is industrially grown, uh and and the health impacts of that uh i think it's just a matter of time and so like to your point again kind of a long rambling answer but to your point why would you knowing all of that knowing the cost of it knowing that you know you can get higher quality more nutritious food grown in a way that actually helps to uh regenerate the environment you mentioned um white oak pastures there's also primal pastures that they're, they're creating a thriving ecosystem they're not degrading the, the land, they're actually improving the land through, through that type of farming. Uh, you have healthier animals, healthier plants, and it's just to me, it, it's the perfect, you know, if you're gonna spend your time focusing on, on helping the world in some way, this is an amazing way of doing it um, because I don't see any downside, I just see upside. Better, better tasting food, more nutritious food, better for the environment. You also create, I think a lot of these farms are family-owned farms. Um, And to your point, that's, um, I think, something that, you know, is super important for the economy to have that kind of entrepreneurial family owned farms are, um, I think, what makes for a robust, independent economy as well. So it's just for me, it's just a no brainer. And coffee in particular is is great because. The one maybe downside to that type of farming is it doesn't lend itself well to to mechanization, right? You don't have these rows where you can just take a tractor and and harvest everything. But in in particular, so there, I mean, that's one downside. But you know, the the harvesting can be done in other ways, and in particular for coffee, you the best coffee in the world is is hand harvested, right? Because, like, very similar to to grapes for biodynamic wine. Um, you know you want to pick it at the at the peak of its of ripeness the difference between wine and or grapes and and coffee coffee cherries is that on even on the same branch a, a coffee cherry can ripen at a different rate so by hand picking you're picking only the the ripest reddest uh cherries and and that's going to be really hard to do in a kind of a mechanized way Um, so that's, I think another reason why we looked at coffee, um, is, is for that reason. It's just, it's like the perfect, um, combination of, of things that just makes, makes a lot of sense from our perspective.
0: Awesome. That was really cool. I didn't know that coffee would ripen at different rates. So it's almost like it deserves, you know, if you're going to respect the plant in general to be handpicked. So that's pretty cool. I wanted to kind of go down a couple avenues that you mentioned. It's like, I try to preach this quite a bit. It's like, yeah, you're looking at the dollar amount, which is, which I know is tough right now. We have like the highest inflation rates ever. So, I, you know, eggs, even cheap eggs that are normally cheap are really, really expensive right now. So now is not really a time to really compare. But on a general scale, if you can afford it, like you're paying more from your paycheck for these more nutritious foods foods are from the farm but then when you're buying something that's cheaper is like there's always that hidden cost you know and people don't want to look into the layers and the nuances in the context of everything like is that degrading the soil okay now is that soil running off into the Mississippi now is that creating a dead zone Also, you're consuming these pesticides. What's that doing to the gut microbiome and then the state of disease and illness and now taxpayer dollars are paying for it on the back end. There's also things that we don't get to vote on that we subsidize like GMOs and things like that that we are actually paying for, but we just don't realize it because it just comes out in taxes. So we don't really pay attention to that, but we don't really get to vote on that. So there's like all these little ways where we pay for these crops and I'm with you. I think the only way to get of it is to kind of decentralize it that's why i buy from the farm up the street i buy from white oaks if i can find a product like yours that does good uh farming practices i'll buy that i like to buy even like my chocolate bars can be regenerative you can even find this stuff at like sprouts now to where you can get regenerative chocolate regenerative eggs you'll see you know, there's a new A2, like Alexander's, like regenerative farming, like milk and yogurt at Sprouts now. So like you can start to find these things. And what, what happened there is these corporations, they don't necessarily, I think, care about degrading the environment or doing they're not they don't think that they probably know what they're doing but they're really just focused on the dollar so when you shift as a consumer then they just buy that company out they shift as well like you know what i mean like you seen i just seen a meme that like crisco has a coconut oil now out now right they see the shift from the seed oils to the healthier fats they're now gonna buy a coconut oil company. They're not gonna just like let their um, stocks tank. They're gonna invest in something else and they're gonna go with the next wave and the next wave, but the next wave only occurs when you vote with the dollar. So I like to preach that you should put your money, even though it costs you a little bit more upfront, it's gonna really shift how we change and how we change these corporations because they're not gonna change if they just have cash flow coming in.
1: Yeah. So I think that's the secret to, to changing things. It's consumers. I, I mean, corporations just respond to consumers. It's not that they have like some kind of evil plan. They're just trying to, to make money and they look at what's the best way for them to, to, to make money. And if consumers are saying, this is what we care about, this is what we want. And I, I think it's important to look at it from a, from a holistic or a broad perspective, like you are in terms of, you know what's what's best for the long term for our children, for the you know ecosystems, for you know making sure we're not polluting the planet. Um, but I would I would also say you know to, it's important that consumers look at it from a, a selfish perspective too because that's what motivates you from a day to day basis. When you're when you're working hard and just trying to get you know from a week one week to the next, it's sometimes hard to look at it from that kind of broader philosophical perspective. And I would say the the reason why a consumer would want to do this too is is for the health reasons. I mean, eating clean in general, you're going to have more energy. You're going to actually have less brain fog. You're going to be able to think better. You're going to be able to be more productive. You're going to get more done. You're just, I think, it's going to have a, a it has an impact, a direct impact on on your life and you know how well you can live too, um, and just in in terms of health span, I think it has an impact. So all of those things are, I think. You know, I, I'm encouraged because there there are organizations like Kiss the Ground that are are working on the Farm Bill, trying to make sure that regenerative agriculture is supported. Um, so I don't know if if, uh, if you've seen um, the documentary Kiss the Ground, mm-hmm. narrated by Woody Harrelson, but you know that's a, a great great way to start. And and I and I think that organization, Kiss the Ground, is is doing a lot of really good work. Has a lot of, you know. Uh, influencers or celebrities that are are supporting them as well. So I'm, I'm really optimistic and encouraged from that perspective that things are moving in the right direction
0: yeah I, I think so as well and there's this uh you know sustainable dish and sacred cows. there's a lot of people who are coming out changing the narrative around how like veganism and monocroppings are, are really not the ultimate way to sustain environment and ruminant animals and biodynamic farming that that aren't just rows of monocrops are really how you change and get back to like you know even if you're eating a plant-based diet most people aren't going to a local biodynamic farm you know like they're just picking up, you know, fruits and stuff at Whole Foods that are all imported from across the world that are monocropped and picked before they're ripened and have less nutrients. So it's like, there's ways that you could do uh, probably a plant-based diet that would be, it wouldn't be my optimal diet personally, but if you wanted to, like you would basically have to go live on like a biodynamic farm to be able to preach the environmental approach that like a plant-based diet claims to have. Yeah, I,
1: I think it's a spurious argument uh, often, and, and I think it was actually, we, we were talking earlier before we, we started the podcast about uh, Dave Asprey, and he has, there's a clip that, that he, um, that I've seen, I think on Instagram or somewhere where, and you know I'm saying, if you are, you know, looking to be vegetarian or vegan, and it's because you, you want to preserve animal life, we said there's nothing that destroys life more than a farm, a conventional you know, industrialized monocrop farm that is devoid of life—not only life in the soil, but like insect life, diversity of plant life—you kill so much by farming in that way that there's no way you're making up for. You know, uh, you know the 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 idea that I want to have a, a a lower impact from that perspective. You actually have end up having a higher impact on 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 killing living things, on decreasing biodiversity by doing that. So. Yeah. I mean, you just look at that compared to you mentioned Alexander's, um, the owner of, of I, I was at a conference where he spoke and what was interesting was how much he loves his farm and his family came through. I mean, he, he became very emotional on stage talking about the transformation he saw in the land and on his farm when he, he went to this type of farming. You know, how can you not want to support somebody like that is like, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that over time, you know, the, the idea that this can be a, a, a cheaper way to produce food, I think, is important. I think right now there's 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 reasons why it's more expensive. Um, some of it has to do with quality. Some of it has to do with also making sure you're paying the farmers a living wage. I mean, that's one of the things you, you mentioned too. Is is does it does it make like how do you feel about um, you know? if people are living in poverty so that you can have a cheap cup of coffee uh, that's not that's not something that i want to do i want to make sure that the farmers are are living a a good life too they deserve to live a good life and i know i would never begrudge them for for being able to make a, a decent healthy living where they can live well and travel and you know not just be slaves to you know like a subsistence level existence
0: Yeah, I agree. And there's also like the um, idea that with more competition will drive price down as well. Right. Not saying they shouldn't be paid, but when there's only a few regenerative farms, they can kind of charge what they want. But if there's 2000 of them and someone's just sitting on a bunch of meat, the next thing you know, their meat's gonna go down and it will start to drive the price down and you can get it a little bit cheaper and there's ways to like go in with people on like a quarter cow or, and I've done, I've bought a quarter cow and half cow before and stuff like that to where you get everything for like seven bucks a pound instead of buying a ribeye for $22 a pound or whatever. So there's like ways to do it and, you know, pitch in with somebody. But I had a question since we were kind of on like the Alexander's, which by the way, that's good to know. That they actually do do things right and they care because I buy their yogurt and stuff every once in a while, um, because I'm wondering if there's like a lot of greenwashing going on. Like, yeah. what, is there like any regulations around like being like I know um, Vital Farms has regenerative farms eggs. At Whole Foods. Like, what does that mean? Is there greenwashing going on a little bit from some of these companies?
1: There probably is. I I can't give you any specific examples, but um, for example, the the, the term rent regenerative, anybody could really use it. It's not, um, you know, it's not a a term that is um, trademarked or anything where you would, you know, have to have a, a standard associated with it. But there are organizations that do. Then provide kind of similar to like USDA organic or others um, when it when something is regenerative and it includes all the things inc- you know that say biodynamic farming would in many ways so it's a very similar philosophy. Uh, but it also goes one step further in that it, it looks at how the farmers are treated and are they treated ethically and, and through that. And then the, the one that is probably the most popular is, is ROC. So, um, regenerative, uh, organic certified ROC. It's, it's relatively new. Um, Patagonia Provisions was, was involved with it. Uh, a number of others. There are a couple of that are, are kind of certifying what regenerative means. And so I would, you know, recommend looking for that, um, certification. But, you know, certification is, I think it's great, but it's also, it adds a cost too. So, um, you know, one of the best ways is to do a little bit of research too behind what the company is. And typically I think going with, you know, family owned farms is, is, is kind of a rule of thumb that it's, it's going to be, you know, easier to, to kind of um, trust and find out information about, um, other than that, yeah, I think it is kind of an issue at, at, at certain level where if regenerative becomes what everyone's looking for, then everyone just starts slapping, Oh, this is regenerative. This is regenerative. Kind of like, you know, the free range, what free range, uh, chickens kind of became like every egg you buy now or almost is, it says free range, but it's, it's, <laughs> what does that actually mean? It, it's, it really varies. It's not pastured, right? So pastured is, is, is quite a bit different, but, um, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question, but.
0: Yeah, no, I I just wondered, I I don't, I think right now it's in the early phases of people kind of looking for biodynamic or regenerative. So it might be pretty, but I'm just wondering, I think in the future, if it really keeps blowing up, like the trend is definitely going that way. And I think wherever there's money to be made, you know, natural human inclination is to slap whatever on there. Like you said, like the free range and stuff. And free range is still a bunch of birds in very, very small, tiny spaces with with not much pasture to eat, you know, what their normal diet is. And even on um, – it's hard to – like even at like the raw milk I get, I think they are fed a little bit of grains, but it's still like grass-fed. It's all raw A2. So it's like – hard to really get it all the way perfect. But I, you know, i still buy from a local farm and get all my raw dairy from there and I trust them and I do really well with that. So, you know, it's not perfection, but it's at least a good step in the right direction.
1: I have a question for you. So at what point did you make the switch to trying to eat in that way, uh, kind of clean, looking at kind of things that are grown naturally pastured? What, when did you make that kind of discovery and switch?
0: You know, what's interesting is when I, I, I ended up having like Lyme disease with the mold and everything. And when I first started feeling pretty bad, honestly, I, I will always say this, like I kind of bashed the the whole vegan and plant based diet. But it but um, I really loved what it opened me up to, because when I when I did go plant based, started watching the documentaries and you see food ink and you see all the dangers in plastic and people trying to go zero waste. And I would go to some of these vegan functions it opened my eyes to like just the horrors of farming and everything in general. And then I started listening to a lot of uh, like Ben Greenfield type podcasts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Tim Ferriss is actually really big on the regenerative stuff. And, you know, I watched some videos from like the savory Institute. That was like some of the early ones. And I seen how they changed the pastures with, with the animal meats. And I goes, well, this is actually kind of incredible. Like they would show like this deserted, like just look like you couldn't grow anything out there, right? But the animals can go eat them weeds and eat the grass. And then, you know, they 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 uh, you know they, uh, eliminate, they go to the bathroom and they kind of fertilize the land and they rotate them like they would in nature as if prey were following them. That's kind of like the idea, right? They, they move them to a new pasture almost every day so they don't overgraze. And that would be more normal if, if animals weren't contained, they would just kind of move and graze, move and graze. And the way that regenerated the, the land, um, from that, that savory Institute. And then I just started getting into white oaks and everything. And then once I tried the meat, once I went back to eating meat, I first just was like getting, um, like grass fed stuff from sprouts or whatever. Like when I first did it, cause I was like, okay, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to get like pasture raised and grass fed because I'm kind of into this whole environment from the, from the plant-based world. And then uh, actually the Publix by me was carrying white oak pastures because I'm down here in Florida and it's, you know, it's only right there in Georgia. So they have a deal with Publix. And so I tried some of that and I thought it was, I thought it was like a night and day difference on just the taste. So then I just started ordering; and they'll deliver it right to my house. And I haven't really looked back. And then now I have uh, a couple different farms that one delivers, one's like a couple hours away, but they deliver every week. And then the other one um, is like maybe like 30 minutes outside of Tampa and they have a bunch of stuff from a bunch of farms and they deliver weekly right to my house so I don't have to meet them in a parking lot. And I think if if anyone just starts eating it, it's like you almost just have like better energy. Like the, I don't know if it's the energy of how the animals were treated on like a woo-woo kind of level or if it's literally just the minerals and like the vitamins are just like better because the animal's like eating off a better soil, but you just feel better in my opinion.
1: Yeah. So that, uh, so did that, how do you, how did it impact your health? Was It more just the energy and the mental clarity or what was your experience in terms of, and sometimes I think, I know it kind of happens gradually. So sometimes you don't really notice it, but it, like, I think for me, my, my experience of, of, of kind of switching my diet to this is I don't get sick. I have so much energy. I, you know, it's, it's mental clarity. I just found so many things that had made an improvement on that, You know, I it's it it surprised me just how what what kind of impact it could have on on all of those things. So, yeah, yeah, I
0: agree. I, I was dealing with like some mold and lime when I first made the switch. So it was a little bit obviously tougher for me. I had to go do some treatments, but I will say from a coffee aspect, even when I just went from like normal coffee to like bulletproof in the beginning. And started putting like the fats in my coffee. Like I thought that that was like a game changer because I was like, wow, like you get this like coffee from Starbucks and you just like you don't really feel that well after like a half hour and an hour. Like you feel really good at first from like the dopamine, and then you just start to feel almost like, oh, I got this like weird anxiety or something going on, and then you go to a better coffee and then I went to Purity and then now I'm like trying out some biodynamic stuff and whether it's Purity or the biodynamic stuff, as long as it's really clean and really like roasted in the right way, I feel like even like a simple swap, like a lot of people think that they can't handle coffee and -hmm. then I tell them to get a better coffee and then they really are like, oh, I guess it was just like the the pesticides or the mold or something that's in like the Dunkin' coffees. you know?
1: What I noticed switching to to this kind of coffee too is, I can go off coffee and not um, have like a withdrawal like I do on conventional coffee. I don't know if other, if you've experienced that, if you kind of go on and off coffee, but for me, that's one of the things I noticed right away is that if I skip a couple of days, don't have coffee, I'm fine. Uh, Whereas, you know, previously, if I would stop drinking, you know, the uh, coffee, I would, I would get the headaches, get the withdrawal symptoms. So um, there's that. And then I think the other thing that people, Overlook when you look at the like the health aspects is when you're consuming foods that are pesticide laden, and coffee is actually conventional coffee is one of the most heavily sprayed crops out there. So it's it's re, you know. So some people say, oh, that gets burned off in in the roaster when you're through the roasting process. Mm-hmm. I don't think it does. Um, I think these these chemicals are pretty resilient. And the impact and and this is i think goes with gmo as well is it's not necessarily the fact that something is genetically modified it's the reason it's genetically modified it's mo- genetically modified so that it can withstand even more chemical pesticides right so you think what does that do then if you're if you're ingesting that to your own microbiome and you know there's been a lot of work done over the last 10 years on understanding the human microbiome and when we talk about um biodiversity, it's across the board, right? It's not just the biodiversity of the soil microbiology and of the plants and the animals and like a a well-functioning ecosystem. It's also the human side of that too, where if you look at, you know, comparing the microbiome of people who live traditionally in, you know, where they're eating foods that are not, that are grown in a kind of more traditional hunter-gatherer type societies, and you look at their microbiome, It's so much more diverse than the average North American microbiome. And when you understand how important all that microbiology is to everything from, you know, where your nutrition comes from, you can be eating food and not be getting a certain type of vitamin or mineral. And I don't know about mineral, but vitamins anyway, and your microbiome will actually synthesize it for you. It's a symbiotic relationship that you have with that microbiome. It produces neurotransmitters. It's like, it is a huge, huge, impact on on health and by ingesting pesticide-laden foods you i think are killing off that microbiome and i think that's a big part of why you know health has has ends up deteriorating over time
0: yeah and from my research too i think it's even scarier to um, to to ingest coffee that has the pesticides in the mold because coffee's ability to quickly pass the blood-brain barrier. Mm-hmm. So now you're transporting sp- these specific pesticides and molecules directly to the brain because it has, uh, you know, your blood-brain barrier is there to kind of protect from a lot of these toxins, but the coffee can kind of shuttle it right in, and that's why you can get these adverse effects, like, relatively quickly, at least from what I gathered. And I think if you were to eat maybe beef or something that was sprayed with pesticides or, you know, some corn that your liver or your gut or something would maybe process that. And it's that, I mean, I'm not recommending that, but I think that your body might escort some of that out through like mm-hmm. natural detoxification practices. And maybe it does from the coffee as well. But I think that you get that anxiety and the kind of jitters and the shakes because how quickly it goes right into the brain. So I would actually be more cautious with coffee than I would even some of my foods.
1: That's interesting. I didn't. I didn't realize uh, that, that coffee was able to uh, more easily um, pass the blood-brain br- barrier. But that makes a lot of sense. That's something I'm, I'm going to look into. And uh, you know, it's it's interesting the kinds of things that do that. You know, um, so that's and another one of the reasons why you know we when we do testing on our coffee. So we test every crop um, that we that we receive, and we test it for for mold and mycotoxins. But we also test for like uh, salmonella and coliform. And we test for cadmium and mercury and lead too. Um, oh wow! Yeah, and and interesting, like mercury is something that is, I think, a thousand times more toxic than lead. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, there's different forms of mercury. Some some um, will stay in your blood for a long time, like the kind of mercury you'd get from like a, a fish, like a tuna that's that's um, laden with mercury. You know, you'll see that in in your blood tests, um, you know, many months afterwards. But other kinds of mercury, actually, you won't. They, they, you know, it seems like they get eliminated, but actually, what's happening is it's it's going into your brain and it's causing inflammation. And it's like if you do a blood test, oh, there's you know, you're fine. There's no mercury. But if you did an autopsy and looked at at your brain, you would find that's where the mercury went. Um, so it's it is something that uh, you know I think is important too. Um, so yeah.
0: No, you're, you're uh, speaking my language because I'm I'm in the camp that uh, heavy metal exposure via um, just our natural environment. You know, it's an, it's it's the industrial revolution. The past hundred years, like I mean, we just use metals for everything. We're spraying aluminum in the sky. I mean, it's you can't go outside and breathe without breathing in a heavy metal. And uh, I I personally believe that they're at the basis of most almost every autoimmune condition and disease. I've found that to be true. With you know, I was you know, people were trying to focus solely on the lime and I kept asking them, do you think I have like mercury toxicity and come to find out I do have some cadmium and some mercury and things that I've, uh, doing some detoxes on now that I'm eliminating. And so I really think that people underestimate the amount of heavy metals that we take in, especially through food and diet. And then just, you know, breathing it in is probably some of the worst. Uh, especially if you live in like a big city, like I do, you know, uh, it's just heavily polluted and, and the other issue with that is that our soils have become so mineral deficient mm-hmm. that we actually hold on to more heavy metals than if we had a mineral rich diet because they use the same enzymatic binding sites, right? So the body's going to hold on to some form of mineral or heavy metal. It's, it, it needs something to function. The problem is if it's holding on to the mercury or the lead or the cadmium, the cellular functions, you know. 10, 20% instead of if it had the, the proper mineral there, it would be more like 100%, right? So we have a kind of a, a perfect storm of mineral deficient diets, you know, vitamin deficient diets that also interact with minerals, and then just a overabundance of heavy metals within our food and our environment. And I think it's at the basis of all disease.
1: And, and I think then you combine the fact that when you're eating a nutrition poor diet, you feel hungry all the time right? And then you overeat, you overeat things to try to satiate that your, your body's desire to have the nutrition. And that comes with a whole host of then issues when, you know, you have, you, you, you're just not at a healthy weight anymore. So yeah, it's a it's a vicious cycle that, uh, that can be broken. And I think there's a lot of things, sounds like, you know, the things that you're doing are changing that. And uh, I think it just has to be like, this is part of our society now in terms of what the, the kind of environment we're living in. And we just need to figure out how to mitigate it and how to, um, you know, eat in a way that then, um, you know, s- stops that, that vicious cycle and, and can actually, you know, I think we're pretty resilient. You know, p- humans are, are pretty strong, but, you know, it doesn't take that much to, to, to make a difference, but you have to know what to do and what's the root cause of, 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 of the issues.
0: Hello, everyone. First of all, I'd love to thank you for tuning in to the Integrative Thoughts Podcast. I am your host, Matt Kaufman. And through this platform, I plan on seeking out guests that interest me, that I am curious about, and overall just living a more meaningful, purposeful life in hopes that you as listeners and I myself can grasp onto a little bit of their knowledge and integrate that into our daily lives. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. So is I know that things like hemp and different plants are like kind of uh, good detoxifiers. Like they say, you know, greens are good for detoxifying the body, but also they'll detoxify the environment that they're grown in as well, right? Mm-hmm. And we'll get you'll basically have like a heavy metal salad. Like you'll have a you'll have this amazing what you think is a healthy salad and it'll have all these toxins from the environment in there. Is coffee one of those type of plants that like will hold on to heavy metals or do you just test to make sure?
1: uh we just test to make sure I, I don't know specifically if it's if it's the kind of plant that then absorbs you know everything from from the mm-hmm. soil uh that's a that's actually something worth looking into i I'll, I'll do some research on that but um yeah we we just test because we know it it can be an issue and we want to make sure that that it's not for whatever reason i mean the, the, you know having visited the that biodynamic farm in in Honduras you know it's interesting because it, it's like walking through a forest, right? It's like a natural forest that just happens to have, you know, an abundance of, of coffee trees kind of uh, integrated into it. Um, if, if you, if you went, walk through that, that forest when either it's not um, in bloom or kind of in harvest season, you wouldn't even know it's a farm. It's, it just seems like a, a regular forest. So that's, um, you know, that also I think in for me kind of gives me a lot of, of of faith in the coffee, in the sense that it it's not in an area; it's in a very natural area, uh, far away from kind of uh, cities and the kind of source of pollution. That that from a proximity standpoint, but you know you don't know, and uh, you know you can look at the Arctic. You say that's really far away from from all kind of civilization, but it's full of you know mercury and lead and things. So th- that's one of the reasons why we test, and it's just uh you know so far we found that there you know it, it's it's not an issue, but you know we want to we want to be sure so it's just uh, it's just part of what we try to do our our kind of philosophy is you know we call the coffee no compromise coffee and so we look at it from all the things that when we make a decision, what's the right decision? What's the best decision we can make? And that goes from, you know, not only the testing, but the the farms we work with, the, 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 the amount that we pay the farmers for their coffee, the kind of relationship we have with the coffee, wh- the way we we work with them, or we uh, the, the relationships we have with the consumers uh, of the coffee. Um, but also, you know, I think looking at it, not just from the perspective, is it clean coffee, but also is it good coffee in the sense of, you know, having partnered with, uh, Dominic and Miriam who are coffee, you know, like they are third wave coffee, uh, aficionados. They know coffee. They've, they run some of the best, uh, cafes in, in Montreal. Uh, and so that's a really important aspect for us too, is that, that the, the taste and the quality of the coffee in terms of that specialty grade third wave, um, coffee that, you know, they're happy to, to serve in, in their coffee shops as well. It, it fits that standard. And I think it's one of the things that kind of differentiates us from some of the others that are doing this just solely from kind of like either, you know, the clean or the, the, the healthy, uh, regenerative environment side of things. We also look at it from a, is this the kind of coffee that, um, you know, a third wave coffee aficionado would be happy to drink as well?
0: Yeah, at the end of the day, it's got to be a good cup of joe, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I guess I wanted to know: Can you define what like specialty grade means? Like, there's organic, and then that like, specialty grade is supposed to be like the top tier. Does that automatically mean that it's a clean coffee, or like what is what's the like regulation around being called a specialty coffee?
1: So, specialty coffee simply goes with the the score it gets from a Q grader. So a Q grader, and the nice thing about Q graders is you could you could ask ten Q graders to score a coffee and they'll they'll come up with basically the same score uh, and it's on a scale of uh, up to a hundred. So uh, they look for things like defects, just visually looking at the coffee. Um, mm. are the beans, you know, are they chipped? are are they fragmented? So like just looking at coffee, you can tell a lot um, you know, just by the size of the bean, how, you know, how many defects there are in that. Are there, there are some that are look a little bit like uh, that they've they've been damaged or like there's like a, maybe a fungus that attacked them. So that's the first step that they do. Then they, they grind and, and cup the coffee and they taste it. And they were tasting for, I think there is something like 800 different um, flavors that you can taste in coffee, which is, is actually higher than it is for wine. <laughs> um, and so they'll score the coffee based on all of those criteria. And specialty grade ends up being, uh, I believe, it's a score of eighty or above. And to score that high, if there's mold or if there are other defects, it's unlikely that the, the coffee will will score uh, a specialty grade uh, level score. It can happen though. Like I mean, there can be enough other you know things that are good about the coffee that if there is mold in it, it might not you know, mean that it doesn't get a specialty grade, but it's less likely. So, you know, if you're, if you're buying coffee, I think rule of thumb is organic specialty grade, you're pretty safe. Um, but if you have sensitivity or you're, you want to go that, that next level and really be sure, look for things that are tested, tested for, you know, and I would say tested, not just for the mold and the mycotoxins, but, but all other things too, like, you know, even something as simple as the way the coffee when it's roasted is handled, is it handled in a way that is not getting contaminated at the roastery, right? With, um, you know, it could be salmonella or other things, you know, not every place is, 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 you know, really clean. And so you want to make sure from that perspective too, that the coffee is not being contaminated somewhere in the supply chain either, whether it's, you know, in the transportation or in the roasting or in the packaging, and so, yeah, we, we test for, as I mentioned, um, microbiological contaminants like coliform and, and salmonella, um, things like that, as well as the heavy metals. So, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I was actually just about to ask you, Kind of read my mind there on how hard it is to have mold-free coffee because i was just in costa rica for a couple of weeks on my honeymoon and we did a little like i i believe it was a biodynamic farm it didn't look like a forest like yours but it was cool they had cacao there coffee but then like all these other plants he was explaining to us too and fruits and so they had a little bit of everything there and i think that was for like the ecosystem and mm-hmm. um everything but Um, he showed us like a little spot where they were like, had picked some coffee beans and then there was like mold. On I mean, he was like kind of explaining how hard, like it seemed like it's kind of difficult to like, you have to really pay attention to like every step of the process to kind of have mold free coffee. So it's like, what, how hard is it to have a mold free coffee?
1: Yeah, it really depends on the process. So anytime you have organic material and moisture, there is a potential for mold. And so some coffees are actually fermented or, the, the way they're dried um, can, can actually be conducive to um, mold happening. Typically, the, the coffees that are going to be the least contaminated are, are washed coffees, so coffees that are processed in a way that, that uses water to kind of take away a lot of the, um, the pulp. So you're, you're, you're more likely to have mold in, I, I think, kind of um, natural coffees that are, are kind of dried with some of the cherry uh, on them or honey, Sometimes referred to as as honey coffees, um, but not necessarily. I mean, the, sometimes the fermentation process that that's uh, a lot of uh, companies are experimenting with, or or farms are experimenting with, can produce like a better coffee, a more flavorful coffee, without the the risk of mold. But it is it. There are all sorts of steps, and, and including like the drying process. One of the best ways to dry coffee to make sure that it it stays mold free is through nets, rather than like um, on on the the stone patios or the cement patios, uh, things that are elevated that have uh, airflow is is going to be helpful. Um, so it is something that it does happen, uh, and it as I mentioned, anytime you have moisture and organic material, it's just there's there's going to be a potential for mold. Um, so always important to check and to have those processes that are 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 you know carefully looked at. And then in the end, though, as I mentioned, if it's if it's deemed specialty grade, that's the first kind of good indication that you're you're pretty safe. And then I would just look for for things that are tested. And that, you know, if, if you ask for, can you share the lab test with me? That's uh, companies willing to then share that lab test is, uh, I think, an important part. If they say it's, we lab test, but then they're not willing to share the results of it, then it's a little bit suspicious.
0: Yeah, I agree. Mo- I mean, any company that won't... Um- that claims that they do testing, but won't give it to you. If you ask is a little suspect in my book and then that's for supplement companies or anything, you know, I just, I'll, I'll uh, shy away from them real quick. Cool. So it's like, I know it's just seems like, you know, I live in Florida and I know how yeah, I have to run dehumidifiers and you know, I have air doctors and it's like every building you walk into has mold and I know where this coffee's grown, they like them humid climates. So it's gotta be very, you know, uh, Peculiar and meticulous, I would imagine, to make sure every step of the way that they don't have mold. But I wanted to get into, um, like, kind of the roasting process. I know, like, everyone has, like, medium roast, and I've heard that's, like, best for health benefits, and there's dark roast and breakfast blend. So, What does the roasting process look like, and does that have like differential outcomes on health benefits at all? Yeah, actually, one of the things that
1: I mean, one of the the compounds I think that has the most uh, research around it that uh, you're seeing a lot of health benefits, and and coffee is one of the best sources for it is chlorogenic acid, and it's actually the lighter roasts that have more chlorogenic acid. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are other. So it's interesting because I think darker roasts have certain other compounds more prevalent that have health benefits. But I think the one that I've seen, at least the research that I've done that has like a broad spectrum of, of, of associated health benefits benefits is chlorogenic acid. And it happens to be the lighter roasts uh, tend to have more of it. Um, and so coffee, I think clean coffee, actually, I mean, it might depend a little bit on your genetics too, how, how well you tolerate coffee from other perspectives, but I think it's one of the, um, One of the healthiest things you can drink from a cardiovascular perspective, Um, you know, there's a lot of, um, we have an article actually on on our website about the benefits of chlorogenic acid. Um, And when people are looking for that, then we we typically recommend a lighter roast for that. It it tends to have, you know, up to, I think it's like two or three times more chlorogenic acid than, than darker roasts. The other yeah. thing I can say about darker roasts in general—I mean, mm-hmm. I like a, a darker roast sometimes, like the flavor profile. When when I was first got into coffee, that kind of was more like I was into Italian espresso. Uh, now I just I just do pour over every morning, but so I do kind of have. Uh, you know, I I like that, that kind of roasty flavor. I know it's not very third wave of me to say that because, (laughs) you know, third wave coffee officials tend to like the lighter roast because you can taste more of the, the actual coffee. And it's also typically when I said, you know, visually, you look at a coffee and you kind of want to know what to expect. Darker roasts tend to be lower quality coffee because the roast, um, masks a lot of the um the defects of the coffee so you taste less the coffee and more the roast so if you really want to know if you're ta- if you ha- have a high quality coffee you have to go with a light or medium roast so that you can actually taste the coffee and not just the roast when you get to a dark roast you're mostly just tasting the roast at a certain point And so often what companies do is they they take their lower quality coffee and they roast it darker so that it's masking kind of the defects in the coffee
0: Mm. so are they technically kind of just like burning burning it off there and it's like whatever They're, they don't want to lose the money so it's like oh here's a dark roast for you
1: yeah here's a dark roast it's 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 typical i'm not saying all dark roasts are like that but generally that's what people will do if it's like yeah this coffee is not great we'll just roast it darker and you know you won't tell you could take two coffees one you know let's say it's, it scores an 85 and another that scores a 75 but if you roast them to the same level like that really dark dark roast where you know these often see the the beans get oily you see they're kind of shiny and oily then it'll be almost hard to tell the difference like what is the higher quality coffee at that point because you can't you can no longer taste it's like when you take a piece of bread and you you toast it to the point where it's kind of like a little bit black it's like all you taste is that that burnt right that you don't taste the the bread anymore
0: yeah, that's good to know. I mean, I've always liked like medium to light roast anyways. Maybe it's just because I like the flavor of coffee and I just naturally gravitate towards that. You know, one thing that the, um, the farmers down there in Costa Rica told us is that basically, I wouldn't say like a company like yours or Purity, like people who really care about coffee would do this. But he said that ground coffee, a lot of the times, like they'll have like Tobacco and all kinds of like weird other additives in there to like boost up like, you know, cause they're getting paid per pound or kilo or whatever. And he said, there's all kinds of other, like not just coffee and ground coffee, especially from some of like the cheaper brands mm-hmm. that I was like, I mean, I've been buying whole beans for years and years and using quality company. So didn't wouldn't, but I was like, wow, I think about like my mom just buys like cheap ground coffee. I'm like, she doesn't even know exactly what she's drinking, you know? And have you ever heard anything like that? I haven't heard that, but I do know that, um,
1: I mean, ground coffee, if it's been sitting around for any length of time, it's just, it's going to be stale, right? So you're, you're, uh, you know, if you don't mind stale coffee, then that's, that's fine. But what we, what we do, so we, we will, we typically um, sell whole bean, but often, you know, um, customers may not have a good grinder. And if, if you're looking at what's, what's the, if you want a high quality cup of coffee, Ground coffee is fine for a couple of weeks. After that, you know, you, you, it's it's not the best. So what we what we do is we have a very very high quality grinders um, where we roast the coffee, and so we roast to order. So anybody who is looking to get you know fresh coffee, typically it's at its peak not right after it's roasted. It takes a couple of days, two three days, sometimes a week, even up to two weeks for it to really hit its peak, depending on the coffee and everything. So. That's a little bit of a a shift in, in people's understanding. Some, some want think that if I get it and it was roasted yesterday, then, or the day before, then it's going to be at its peak where it's like still off gassing a lot. And, you know, when you do a pour over, you can see all the bubbles coming up. It's actually not at its peak until about a week to two weeks after. And it's kind of the Mm -hmm. same thing with grinding. It's, you'll get a much better, uh, cup of coffee if your grind size is uniform. Uh, where you're if you're using like a blade grinder, you're gonna get um, coffee that is you know either too highly ground or not enough and it's not uniform and you won't get a good extraction. You won't get um, like the dissolved solids in the coffee it won't be as as high or as as good a quality. So I would actually recommend, you know, better to let us grind the coffee and ship it to you ground to the right specification, whether you're doing pour over or espresso or you know a mocha pot. Uh, as long as you're going to consume that coffee within a couple of weeks, like say maybe maximum three weeks, that's probably you'll get a better cup of coffee from from that than if you if you use something like a blade grinder. Um, but but coffee that's been ground and and sitting around for like weeks and weeks or months even ground, it's you know I, I I'm not a coffee snob so much, but I don't <laughs> think I would I would want to drink that really.
0: Interesting. So are there like uh, grinders available on the market that do a better job than like the electric kind of blade grinders that people can seek out? Yeah, my,
1: I, I would recommend if you're looking for the best bang for your buck, it is a hand grinder. So you're, you're getting, um, you know, a burr, a burr grinder by hand. It's just for me, that's what I use every morning. I use a, a hand burr grinder and I do a pour over it. and it takes like a good quality, um, hand burr grinder, you know, it might take 20 seconds to grind your coffee that way, but to me it's a nice ritual. I like to kind of feel like I'm earning my coffee. It it doesn't take that long. And it's, I think, the best bang for your buck. Uh, if you, if you're, you know, want if you're a little bit more in, in a rush and you want to do things quickly, then you know, an electric burr grinder is, is great too. And uh, they're just a little bit more expensive. And I like I like the idea too that I'm a little bit of like I want to be self-sufficient where I can be and i like the idea that i could take that grinder and my pour over coffee kit and go anywhere as long as i can have access to hot water i can i can make myself a good cup of coffee and and it's not that hard to get hot water you know in terms of like even if you're camping you build a fire you make some hot water you can have a really good cup of coffee you don't need electricity you don't know, have to light if the electricity goes out there's a storm or whatever i know i can I, I have a gas stove so i know i can always have my cup of coffee in the morning and it, for me that's just I like that. I like the, that feeling of um, independence or self sufficiency that that comes with that. So that's my personal preference, and but that's what I would recommend over a blade grinder. But you know, it's it's not yeah. the end what of the world. The of uh, what was the name of that
0: grinder again? Was the
1: name of it? the one I use is is one from Easy Easypresso, um, but there are a lot of uh, really good ones. Um, from, you know, that you can see. If you do a search, you know, for a uh, hand, hand burr, burr grinder, so burr, B-U-R-R. burr, is
0: that what you're saying? Yeah. Like B U R R? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Burr. It's like B-U-R-R. basically two, um, uh, kind of like not blades, but two grinding surfaces that that uh, very uniformly break up the beans. So you get uh, like a very uniform kind of consistent grind. That's one of the secrets to doing a good cup of coffee is having that uniform, consistent grind with not a lot of what they call fines. Fines are like little kind of powdery bits that um, end up becoming like uh, what will typically make, I think your coffee taste a bit more bitter uh, rather than the sweet. So if you want like a sweet, smooth, <clears throat> You know a uh, f- full body cup of coffee that, that that uniform grind is actually pretty important
0: interesting i'm going to look that up because i used to do the hand grinder and then I just got it. I was like, oh, it's time consuming. I did. It. I actually used it until it broke because I used to kind of like you say this is like my little morning, like you know, sacred ritual. I'm not on my phone. You know, I'm kind of earning. I used to have the same philosophy. And then when it broke, I was like, whatever. I'm just gonna get an electric one because it's faster. But I so I do kind of. I'm like hooked on the electric one now. But maybe I'll look up that burr grinder and see.
1: Well, if that electric one is a burr grinder, there's like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily switch. It is definitely more convenient to, to be able to just, you know, push that button and get your coffee. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's an electric and not a blade grinder, it's probably a burr grinder. No, no, it's a
0: blade for sure. Okay, Yeah. Yeah, So I've been using the blade for a while now, but I'll definitely look into the burr and see how that, cause I'm, I like my coffee. Also, I wanted to ask about like, I know your bag's compostable, which is dope, but um, is it like, I went like listening to a lot of coffee podcasts and researching. I know they want to keep the freshness of it. They want to do like a nitrogen seal. Do you guys do that at all? No.
1: In fact, you know, the, the nitrogen seal, I I think is, I think is a bit of a a gimmick. I don't think it actually Mm. helps. Uh, This is, this would be a really good topic for Dominic, my, uh, my business partner, um he was at one of the uh the, the coffee uh conferences and uh was speaking to some 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 companies who actually you know offer that as an option on their their coffee equipment. And they said, you know, honestly, it's 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 more of a marketing thing than anything. It doesn't actually help with uh preserving the freshness because coffee is off-gassing. What makes it go stale is that it's off-gassing and the the, the nitrogen doesn't stop that process. So you know, even even the valve on a coffee bag—it's so that the the bag doesn't blow up. You know, if you're if you're putting um, freshly roasted coffee into uh, a bag, that 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 valve is really just to allow the coffee to off-gas. So for the, for those gases to have somewhere to escape to, um, the the best thing to to slow down that process is is just to keep the coffee in in an airtight uh, and cool environment. So you know, if you put your coffee in the freezer, it will stop that, that, uh, off gassing process or slow it down considerably. Uh, so you, some people will like, there's a bit, maybe a bit of a debate, you know, to keep your coffee in the freezer or not. You can, it will, it will, if you need to slow down the, that, that process, you want to like, keep it for, let's say a month or two months, putting in the freezer is not a bad idea. And you can take the beans right out of the freezer, put it into the grinder and use it. There's not an issue with, with, uh, grinding frozen, frozen beans, but I, I don't do that. Um, you know, what I do is I just, I just keep it in the drawer, keep it like out of the the light and keep it kind of in that, in that sealed bag. But I use the coffee pretty quickly. Like I would say I go through a bag probably a week. And so it's, it's not going to make any difference with the fact that it's, I keep it as whole bean and I grind it a week or two, you're fine. If you need to keep it longer than that, then there are things you can do. But, um, but on the topic though of, of compostable, it is, it is an interesting one because you know we're, we're really looking into is that what's actually best for the environment in terms of you know what does compostable mean is it industrial industrial compostable is it backyard compostable uh how well does it you know for example if the packages that we use are are definitely more they're less robust than than a than a, than a, than a typical like foil bag that is like in really rugged and impermeable and what happens sometimes is, um, we can get, uh, bags that, you know, th- these bags will not last forever, right? So if we order 10,000 and we don't go through them within six months, we might have to, to get rid of some of them because they, they start to decompose more quickly and they're not as, as robust. So, you know, is the, the downside of, of that impact worth it? And are they, are these bags actually being composted, you know, Do, do the cities where they're going to have industrial compostable, um, facilities, is it actually, um, the best choice? It's something we're looking into and we think it is in, in some ways, but you know, we're, as things evolve, you know, we, we may, we may have a different uh, perspective at some point on it, but for now, we think it's, it's the best choice, but we're always open to hearing, you know, the latest research and, you know, looking at it as holistically and as thoroughly as we can. So, I don't if you have any any thoughts on it. I'd, I'm interested in hearing um, your feedback. I, I,
0: I honestly used to be like try to not use as much plastic as possible, and you know, do, limit my waste, and you know, try to do some composting. Even though I live in a city, and I've I I think the composting is still very it you know makes a lot of sense to throw banana peels and whatever into a compost if you can. But I feel like as humans, we're going to have to do what we do best and engineer ourselves the hell out of the plastic catastrophe because everything is just preserved. Like, what's the, the, you know, okay, okay. Yeah, we have to use plastic to preserve meat, but now meat can be preserved for years. So it's like, right. OK, the the upsides outweigh the downsides of what just killing and killing more animals. Right. And having to have more farmland for these animals, we can now preserve meat or preserve coffee for longer. So I don't know, like, are we wasting more water and more resources by growing these things, or could we have stored them in plastic and then somehow, some way, some guy much smarter than me is going to figure out how we can burn this plastic or somehow turn it into energy. Or I think we're going to have to, you know, we don't really, we're kind of getting into that space right now. We're seeing all the plastic build up. Now there's a lot of people trying to figure out how we can get the microplastics out of the, out of the water or burn it off or what can we do? How can we reuse it? So that's going to be, I think, what we what we shift into instead of using less plastic because it's cheap. And at this point in time, I don't see anything that can really replace plastic as far as preserving things. So yeah. I, I don't know. I used to be really big on like limiting it. And now I think that we're just going to have to find solutions in the modern world because it's just the best way to preserve stuff.
1: Yeah. I, I, I tend to agree that it's, it's figuring out how to, um, I mean, in the end, keep it out of uh, the oceans is I think one of the big the big pieces because it, it causes a lot of damage and the, and the microplastics I think is is a is a huge issue. Uh, maybe not the worst issue in in the oceans. Um, one of my son's friends' parents um, does a lot of work in that area, and and she says you know the. The, 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 you know, the, when they do the trolling or trawling on the bottom of the ocean where they're just scraping the bottom and pulling up all that she said, that's a much bigger issue than microplastics. It's like microplastics are important, but this is something that that's even worse. Um, but I agree that that it is, it, I think there's ways of, of reusing, uh, recycling. Maybe that makes sense. It's just, um, putting in the processes and the systems. Um, so I'm, I'm, we're open to like learning in that area. Right now, we we're going with one hundred percent compostable packaging, but it's industrial compostable, so you couldn't just take it and put it in your in your backyard compost uh, bin. Which you know, ideally, that would be something that would be amazing if we could do. Um, but yeah, it's something we're still working on.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's really, really hard. And it's like this thing that a lot of environmentalists are trying to push. But it's like same thing with like electric cars. Right. Well, now we're learning that the batteries don't degrade and we're we're super mining. It's all like slave labor mining for these Cobalt, batteries, yeah. for electric cars and everything. So it's like there is a give and take with everything. And we're just going to have to engineer ourselves out of, out of the mess. I think that, you know, the modern world's already here. We're stuck in it like how else are we gonna get coffee across the world? I mean, most of it's gonna be in plastic. I just, I don't see a way out of it. I just think that we're gonna to have to find solutions.
1: You know, it's interesting because it kind of touches on also, I mean, this is way off the topic maybe of, of um, you know, biodiversity and, and, and the environment, but just kind of the way everything is evolving with AI and automation you look at, well, like, what are some of the things that are going to be important for where, where humans can actually contribute to to the economy? And I look at at regenerative farming as one of those areas where it's, if, if you're going to, if you have time and you want to do something um, meaningful in, in the world, that kind of farming, you know, is, you know, there actually, there's, what I find interesting is there's, um, in Montreal, where I used to live, uh, outside of Montreal, in a, in a place called Casaville, there was this um, McGill professor who bought uh, an organic apple orchard and turned it into a permaculture orchard that had, you know, different kinds of, of uh, fruit trees integrated with like nitrogen-fixing trees, with like fruits or with vegetables growing underneath the, the tree canopy, and I think he started integrating animals into it as well, so creating like kind of a, a food forest ecosystem. But what he he set it up as a a you pick and it's actually really interesting because you think of like what do if we have a lot of time on our hands in the future because you know there's there's just less work for us to be done like the economy only requires let's say 50 percent of people to participate in it what are people going to do and creating that kind of environment where people can go and enjoy harvesting you know their their own fruits and vegetables it becomes like a pastime that is is kind of a worthwhile thing to participate in. It helps with community, it helps with all sorts of things that I think are really great for um, you know, human society is like our culture has to change. If if we're going to have a lot more free time and we're not all going to end up, you know, doing things that are kind of destructive to society, I think our culture has to change. And I think this type of farming really Is a part of that that cultural shift that has to happen. Of like, what do we what do we admire in people? What do we reward in people in terms of what they accomplish and what they should strive for? If they don't have to at some point um, work to survive, then why why what motivates people? So yeah, that's I mean long term kind of you know philosophical thinking, but it it is kind of in the back of my mind. um, What are the jobs of the future?
0: It's uh, wishful thinking. I think <laughs> that the, uh, the the powers that be want us eating cricket burgers instead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: exactly. It's, like it, it, they it's they the opposite of trying day. to control. It's like giving everybody kind of uh, that more of a decentralized autonomy that I think is is what's worth fighting for.
0: I and I think that you know buying into these farmers is like one of the main way, the biggest reason. That we have the, the corporate control over us is is it's like two two main industries, in my opinion. It's food and pharma. And they play into each other. They give you the crappy food and then you need more of the pharma. And it's like, how can you like break down that structure little by little? And, and for me, it's from supporting good farmers because yep. then you're going to have better health. You won't need pharma. And then you're also giving your money not to pharma because a lot of these same people that are in bed with pharma they own tyson chicken and they own whatever these corporate like whatever you're getting your chicken nuggets from and whoever supplies the beef to mcdonald's and whatever they're all in bed with each other so it's like you have to quit giving money to them
1: yeah they've they've created their own symbiotic relationship that you know is kind of we're the host for that right (laughs) there so i agree 100 is is you know let's let's focus on how we can be more self-sufficient independent and uh you know, community-based, um, to me, that's, that's a better way to live. And, uh, and I agree wholeheartedly. And I think, again, I'm optimistic because I, I see enough people doing things like what you're doing to kind of share that way of thinking. And, uh, I, I really think in the end it will prevail because it is just, you know, a superior, um, healthier kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just a nobler way of, of living.
0: Yeah. I don't know if it's like a global consciousness thing. Cause I, I, I have the randomest people, um, uh, like who will reach out to me, like asking where do I get my raw milk from and where do, what farms do I use? People who I wouldn't expect to the least degree to even care or kind of on this bandwagon of like, Why am I giving Walmart or Whole Foods like all of my money for less nutritious food? It's not even, to be honest, the White Oaks pastures. I say this to everybody I talk to the steaks are really expensive, but like the ground beef is the exact same amount as the grass fed ground beef at Sprouts or Whole Foods. Sprouts can be a little bit cheaper, but like at Whole Foods, they're literally like $9 a pound. So it's like, why wouldn't I just give it to white Oak pastures instead of, I don't know this farm at whole foods. It's just someone who's in bed with Amazon or whatever, you know? So I'm like, and I just, I see it more and more of people like, Oh, I'll, I'll try organic coffee or I'll, what farm do you use? So there's definitely some shift. And I, and I, I like to be optimistic because I don't want to be a, a, Debbie downer about the bugs and the lab grown meat. I think all that stuff's going to fall on his face. Just like a lot of the, um, if you look at the stocks and everything of like Beyond Meat and then, you know, what's the other one? Impossible Burger. It's like you can tell no one's eating it. Like there there will be a, all the meat cleared out in the entire section for like a hurricane or whatever. And all of the vegan meats are just still sitting there. So, like, it's I don't think that it's going to win. I think that regenerative practices and people like to eat meat. They want it to be better. They they realize that they can't digest you know, just pasteurized milk from the store. So they go to a place that sells it as pet food and they pick up their gallon of raw milk. And, and I get more and more like inquiries from people who, you know, even like my wife's sister found like uh, they're not even really that healthy. And I, they, you know, they do some things, they eat a lot of beef and stuff and they buy it from now they buy it from a farm. They'll buy like a quarter of a cow and, they've done the raw milk quite a bit and stuff and they live up in Michigan but it's just funny like people I don't know if it's just from me posting about it or whatever you know I'll send them the real milk finder like uh, website so they can find some farms by them or eatwild.com is another one Mm -hmm. people don't think that these farms are by them but I usually send them like the eat wild link or like the uh, raw milk finder which is like realmilk.com or something like that and usually there's a place that delivers or it's like you know within 20-30 minutes of, of them they can go pick something up
1: yeah it's amazing and i think it's just it's just uh again i think it's it's back to people like you i don't know if you know the strong sisters they're, they're great too because yeah, they, they do great. a lot of like they show you what they're doing and
0: you know i think that's how i found your coffee okay. on, like one of their stories i think they posted it and then like, i was like oh okay biodynamic coffee that's cool and then i started following your page and I, I believe that they were the first people that posted your coffee that i found it
1: yeah and you know people are smart They they you know, as long as they have access to, to information and they can, you know, it's, it, the, the story makes sense, right? So you, you hear it, you's like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. And yeah, I, I want to do that. It makes, and then they try it and they see either the taste difference or the difference it has on their health. And it's like, of course, it's going to, it's going to have uh, an impact over time. As long as, you know, we have the opportunity to, to share information uh, and have like discussions like real discussions that are looking for the truth like one of my one of my favorite sayings is strong opinions loosely held right so mm-hmm. as as you learn things you you develop opinions and it's great to have strong opinions but you always want to be open to you know new information you want to be able to have like a reasonable debate with somebody look for um truth look for like answers and go where that takes you right like you don't have to hold on to things that you you said like oh I, I believe hundred percent in you know p- packaging needs to be h- compostable and I really believe that strongly. But then if someone can show me, you know what actually it's it's uh, maybe it has you know things that you don't understand that are detrimental. Like why not be open to that? because what in the end you're looking for is what's true and what's best. And so it's one of my, my favorite sayings is, yeah, strong opinions loosely held.
0: That's amazing. I actually always like I've changed my opinion and had my paradigm shattered so many times in the health space and trying different diets and supplementation and to where I am so open to most, almost anything anymore, because I just, I don't know everything there. That's one thing you have to realize, like you don't know. And then one thing works for somebody and doesn't work for another just because you tried it and it didn't work. Someone else had great results on it within like the health space or some protocol. So It's really like case by case. And I like to stay very open as well. And so I like to have these conversations. I don't agree with every single person on every single thing, but I just let them have their little, their little time. And if that helps somebody, cool.
1: Yeah. I think that's amazing because, you know, it's, people talk about the scientific principle, you know, go with the science, which science is all about questioning, right? It's like (laughs) science is never static and like, this is absolute truth. It's like this is what we know so far and it's always evolving and our understanding is getting more acute and better over time as long as we're open to you know to that process to that debate to like a diversity of opinions and and to like with an open spirit of like well we all want what's best and so let's work towards that and find out what that is and and we don't have to be dogmatic about things it's it's like That's actually the opposite of of science is to be dogmatic.
0: That's just so. Fun. I'm glad you touched on that. I always like the the trust the science thing is something that just got repeated so much that that people who have never read one scientific documentation or looked into science they just started you know parroting it because they're brainwashed. Like science at its core foundation is questioning each other. There every scientist ever has made their discovery by questioning some other scientist. Right? Like, oh, I don't really know if that's true or if it is true. Let's test it out. Let's try it out. Let's see if it works in this context or that context. And then you it just evolved over time. Like all science is meant to be questioned.
1: Yeah. And like when, when you say just trust it, why are you afraid of if people are questioning things? What, what is it that you think is going to happen when people say, well, what about this? And and let's have a discussion around this possibility. It's like, no, 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 that's off the table. You're not allowed to talk about it. Why, <laughs> what are you afraid of exactly that we're like, that we'll, we'll get a, a clear picture of what is, you know, actually happening. What's the downside to that? And then you look at, oh, the downside is maybe, you know, it's, I think what it fundamentally rests on is a pessimistic view of, of people and their intelligence. And so if you have a pessimistic view of people and their intelligence, you'll say, oh, they'll come to the wrong conclusions that people are stupid. People don't know how to think. And I don't think that's true. I think given enough time, people will figure things out. You just have to, you know, um, set up, a a system that allows them to get information and, and make informed decisions.
0: Yeah, man, that was beautiful. Well, I know running short on time, man, I think it's been great. I really respect the biodynamic aspects of something that people are already drinking every single day. So for me, it's just a simple swap, right? You're already drinking coffee, You're if you're drinking good coffee, you're probably already ordering it online. anyways. some people probably go to a local roaster, but a lot of people will just order it to the house, right? So they can just make it easy switch over to the biodynamic coffee that you sell. So why don't you tell everybody where they could go, try some of the coffee where you're at on social media, anything like that.
1: Yeah, the the easiest way is just to go to uh, biodynamic.coffee, so it's uh, b i o d y n a m i c.coffee. Uh and then from there you can also check out from from um, you know, distribution standpoint, you can order online obviously, but then um, we also have a, a section where you can see the retailers. We don't have a lot of retailers yet that are, are carrying the coffee, so definitely opening, uh, open to uh, improving that aspect and, and working with uh, with more grocers and, and other retailers, but there is a map there that shows, you know, in particular around uh, LA, we work with Erewhon, uh, so our coffee is available in all the Erewhon mm-hmm. stores. Um, but yeah, you can also, if it's, if it's not in your local area, ordering online, um, we ship throughout North America and it takes, you know, a few days, uh, to, to ship it. We roast it and then ship it directly. Um, so it's always fresh and, uh, hopefully you'll try it and you'll love it and, and you'll, you'll want to keep buying it. So, cause I think in the end, what our mission is, is to, to help convert more, it, very few coffee farms do this it's like a handful in, in the entire world maybe like you know uh, I think eight to ten farms and we just want to see that expand because of all the benefits that we talked about and so that's our major um, mission is to to promote it for that for that reason
0: awesome man I'm glad to see more people doing work like you and promoting good farming practices so Uh, Have a great day. And maybe we'll jump back on over time as you come out with some new products or whatever. Maybe we'll just talk more coffee.
1: Sounds great. Thanks so much, Matt. I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, better. If you enjoy this show, would you please take a second to subscribe, rate, and review it for me? Also, if you'd like to know more information about Combo, personalized one-on-one coaching with me, or for upcoming retreat information, which I host with my wife, please visit my website in the show notes or DM me on Instagram. My handle over there is at integrative Matt until next time, my friends.